0: about skipping right past Christmas as soon as it arrived talking about how that's a temptation for us as humans to be like cool Christmas happened and let's move on and maybe I spoke too soon because if you actually read through the Gospels particularly Matthew Mark and Luke what you see is they actually do that the gospel writers themselves skip Past Christmas pretty quickly But not in like a self-centered way As I discussed last week, you know Hey, let's just move on with our lives and just get to bigger better things But they do it with a christ-centered purpose So we're gonna fly through the first 30 years of jesus's life Straight from birth right to his baptism today y'all ready? Buckle up. It's gonna be wild Kind of Matter of fact, there's like very little information about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. But here are some events that we know of that happened between when Jesus was born and this event that you just heard read, Jesus is baptized. But first, a, just a quick question, just kind of, you know, get loosened up. You know, like before you do exercise, you got to stretch, get loose. We're exercising our mind and our spirits today. So I just want us to kind of, you know, loosen up our, our muscles a little bit, okay? How many wise men visited Jesus Oh, Christine, I saw you, mouth three. How many of you think three wise men visited Jesus? I mean, that's how the song goes, right? We three kings of Orient are. Okay, I'm going to give you just like five seconds to think about this one really, really hard. Because it's one of the most important questions of faith. How many wise men visited Jesus? And I'll give you a clue because I'm a nice guy. And I don't just want to like leave you hanging or put you in a weird spot, okay? So when the wise men visited Jesus, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So how many wise men visited Jesus? Kids, what do you think? Trick question. I guess I'm not a nice guy. It leads us to believe that there were only three wise men, but the scriptures never actually tell us how many wise men visited Jesus. They only tell us how many gifts were brought. Uh, That doesn't really help you with what we're talking about today, but the kids were joking with me about it, and yet it actually happened. Wise men visited Jesus. That's the first event that we know of after Jesus's birth that happened prior to him turning 30. The others are that Mary and Joseph actually go down to Egypt. All right, so you've got wise men visiting Jesus, Mary and Joseph going down to Egypt because King Herod gets all up in his feelings about this savior being born and so guess what he decides to do something crazy and extra and kill all children around the age of two all male children around the age of two have you guys heard about this story before the massacre of the innocents. you have it's like insane this is how narcissistic king herod was that These wise men visit him and say, we're looking for this promised Messiah, the one who would be king of Israel. He's like, not in my watch. Just kill all the baby boys who are around two years old. That's like messed up, right? So you get this incredible gift giving of the wise men. Mary and Joseph, they flee to Egypt to save Jesus. God commands them to go. Herod massacres all these children. And then finally Mary and Joseph return to Israel. They settle down in a little quaint country town called Nazareth. And then we don't really hear anything about Jesus until he's 30. Except, except in Luke. Luke records this one trip when Jesus was a boy, when they went to Jerusalem while he's 12. But then he just jumps to where Matthew and Mark jump to, the baptism of Jesus. And have you ever asked yourself, why is it that we don't get to know Jesus while he's growing up? Why don't we get to observe the childhood of Jesus? Why don't we see him struggle through the teenage years? Why don't we see Jesus come into the maturity of young adulthood? You ever thought about that? It's kind of weird, you know? Well, it's not that the boy Jesus doesn't matter. It's not that the teenage Jesus doesn't matter. It's not that the young adult, just getting into the career of carpentry Jesus, doesn't matter. It's because... ...adult Jesus and his ministry of reconciliation and good news does matter. And it matters more than anything else that happens in Jesus' life. And so while I encouraged us not to skip past Christmas... ...the gospel writers actually help us along this journey and say... ...no, no, 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 let's not get bogged down in these minor details. Let's just jump to the good stuff. Let's get right to the point... So from Matthew 3.13, then Jesus came from Galilee and he came to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. That's all we get from those first 30 years of life, really. Then Jesus arrived. But right before Jesus arrives, listen to what John is saying about him. Bear fruit worthy of repentance and he's speaking to the religious leaders in the crowds who are gathered around the Jordan as well. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these rocks to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees and every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for Repentance. But one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor. He'll gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So bear fruit, worthy of repentance, everyone. Like, that's an intense message. John is spitting straight fire at the religious leaders and the crowds. And saying, I'm preparing you for something that is beyond your imagination. I'm preparing you for something that is coming true, promised of old, that is going to occur here and now. And what I want you to hear is that we are to bear fruit worthy of repentance, John says. You've heard me say this time and time again. You heard me say it this morning at the beginning of service. To repent is just simply to turn back to God or to pray that God would turn your heart that's always curved in on itself back towards his face. But John adds uh, an extra little flavor to this. He says, don't presume anything. Y'all know what to presume is? I had to like look this up because like I've heard it, I've said it, but I didn't know what presume actually means. To presume something is to think that you know best. None of y'all think you know best, right? Let's just take a quick walk down memory lane from this last week. How many of you in, say, one of your relationships got into an argument because you thought you knew best or better than the other person? Or maybe it was at work. Maybe it's with your friends. How many of you engaged with something on social media being like, no, 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 no. Actually, that is incorrect. That is disinformation. That is a lie. This is my truth. This is the truth. I know better than you, so you should listen to me. Or maybe you tuned into what the young folk call influencers these days because they know better than any of us, right? John is laying down a pretty clear warning to those people in order to prepare them for the way of Christ. Don't presume you actually know better than the one who is coming after me. For he is God, and he sort of knows everything. We're talking about baptism today. And I was uh, joking with Pastor Dawit. He's in the Tigrinya service, by the way. Um, And we were joking because we were talking about how baptism is actually one of the most contentious arguments within the church in America. How many of you had a conversation or an argument with someone about, like, what is the right age to be baptized? Is there an age to be baptized? What does baptism actually do? Should we baptize babies? Should we wait till we're 30? Just like Jesus was baptized. Any of y'all ever engaged in a conversation like that about baptism? I know I have. As a matter of fact... I got in arguments with my own family members where I laid out the most amazing theological and biblical argument for why we should baptize babies and that every person only needs to be baptized once. That's it. And guess what happened immediately after that? They said, yeah, that's really great. I totally agree, Josh. Yeah, but uh, I think I know better, so I'm just going to go get baptized again. That's right, Noah. Face palm. My thoughts Exactly. And it struck me this morning as we were talking. Baptism is a gift of God. It's a promise to attach His power to ordinary water. And yet we love to fight against it. We love to push back on it. We love to argue about it. We have a terrible time as humans just accepting it and embracing it. Why? Because our human nature can be summed up by presumption. We all presume to know best. Or better. This is why John was warning everyone about a coming judgment of not only their unrighteousness but their self-righteousness as well. Now I said this is good news it sounds pretty harsh but this is good news because when Jesus would arrive despite all that crazy language about unquenchable fire and winnowing forks and all this other stuff When Jesus arrives on scene at the Jordan, it's announced, it's revealed that he was there to cover all of our unrighteousness, to fulfill all those presumptions, to overcome all of our self-righteousness. Then Jesus came from Galilee down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. We got this thing flipped around. But Jesus stopped him. No, man, it's proper for us to do it this way in order to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented and when Jesus was baptized... When he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and it landed on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved One, with whom I am well pleased. True or false? Jesus was baptized. It's okay, you can answer that one. Yeah, true or false, Jesus was baptized. There should be a resounding true because I just read it and Silas just read it. This is the obvious one, okay? All right, true or false, Jesus baptized other people. Yeah, you're right, false. There's not a single instance in all of Scripture that records Jesus baptizing others. Jesus' disciples baptized, but Jesus never baptized. Okay, here we go. Jesus, Jesus, true or false, Jesus was baptized... For you. It's true. See we talk about how we don't want to make ourselves the center of attention. This is the problem of sin and yet there are some very definitive acts of God where he says no 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 no, no. this is this, this is for you. This is all about you and Jesus' baptism is one of those events. Jesus is baptized ...for you and for you and for you and for you. Jesus was baptized for all of us in order to fulfill all righteousness. He had to fulfill all the righteousness of the law... ...all the righteousness of the prophets... ...all the righteousness of the Torah... ...in order to accomplish God's plan of salvation. In order to show us that that plan involved each person of who God is. This is actually the clearest text that we have that shows us that the Trinity exists and the Trinity is real. You have all three persons of the Trinity accomplishing this plan here in this river with John the Baptist. You see the Spirit of God descended, right? Like a dove. The voice of God the Father was declaring, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then you have the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, Being distinguished as the Messiah. Now, if you think about this, you know, like as a a child, I remember loving affirmation from my parents. Like, hey, great job, Josh. You did an awesome job. Anyone feel good when you receive words of affirmation? Perhaps you even look in the mirror and affirm yourself each and every day, right? It feels good. But guess what? Jesus didn't need that from God the Father. We, as broken humans, need to be lifted up. We need to be affirmed. But Jesus didn't need to be like, Yeah, thanks, Dad. That's so great. I am the beloved son. Yes, I feel great. Let's go on with life. Jesus didn't need that. God the Father spoke and distinguished him as the beloved one for your sake and for the sake of those who were there to say, Listen to this one. He's the Messiah. Pay attention to him. Follow him. Watch him. And it got me thinking. If that voice of the Father wasn't for Jesus and it was for us, how well are we at being present and observing and listening and watching the person and work of Jesus Christ compared to listening to ourselves? Don't presume anything, John says. The Father says, this is my Son, listen to Him. He's the Beloved One. And yet the struggle is real to be present and to listen to Him and to watch Him and to follow Him. Yeah? But this is why John baptized people in the Jordan for repentance. Jesus was baptized by John to show us That he was the actual fruit worthy of our repentance. And the Holy Spirit confirmed this by landing on his shoulder. You know, you heard me talking to the kids about baptism. Y'all know what baptism is? Like the word, what it actually means? It just means to plunge or to dip. Yeah, that's all it is. Right? It's become... A means of God's grace it is a sacred ritual of the Christian church and yet it just means to dip just to plunge into water so I want you to track with me for just a second Jesus was baptized by John but not for repentance because if Jesus is the Christ he is sinless Right, if you've heard the story of the gospel, even once you know that the perfect sinless Savior died for us sinful human beings. So Jesus did not need to be baptized in order for repentance. He had nothing to repent of or repent for. And the early Christian theologians said this, for three reasons the Savior accepted this baptism from John. He didn't have to do it, but he he chose to accept it. First, because he was born a human, and so he had to fulfill the justice of, ...and humility of the law in his humanity. Second, by his baptism, he was confirming all the baptisms... ...that John would do and that his disciples would later do. Right? He was like, yo, if you got to do it, I'm going to do it too. Because I'm one of you. And thirdly, by being baptized, he made holy or set apart or sanctified... ...the waters of that Jordan River and all waters after... ...so that he might show that just as the Holy Spirit landed on him in our baptisms the Holy Spirit lands on us just as the Holy Spirit descended upon him and the voice of the Father said see 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 what the dove landed on that's the Holy One the Son of God in your baptism the Holy Spirit descends upon you and into your heart and God can then say see there's my son see She's one of my daughters. In this way, Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized by John so that anyone who repents and is baptized would be plunged into water, yes, but would, more importantly, be plunged into the blood of Christ pouring out from the cross. Jesus was baptized so that, by John so that anyone who repents and is baptized would be drowned, dipped and plunged by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit of God. So this is actually a pretty significant event. It's why the Gospels start with it, because this baptism of Jesus was a precursor. It was a sign that was pointing to everything that this Jesus would accomplish and that he would accomplish with ordinary, regular things. And what's more ordinary than our humanity? Seriously, what's more ordinary than just who we are as human beings? But more than that, what's more ordinary for humans than water? It's so boring. Like, that's why you have to drink LaCroix, because you need to sparkle it up and create effervescent flavors, as weird as they taste. Israel was accustomed to the ordinary things of water. There was a thing called a mikvah, and basically it was like a pool with a set of stairs on either side. So you'd like start on this side. And in order to cleanse yourself or become, like, clean to enter the temple or to participate in religious services, you'd stand on this side, you'd take your clothes off, you'd walk down the steps into this pool, you would dip or plunge yourself totally under the water, right? And then, as you would come up on the other side, up out of the water, you would be clothed with a fresh robe, cleanly laundered clothing. And it was a symbol with ordinary water for the Jewish people that they were purifying themselves, being made right and being made clean in order to come before the presence of God by just simply walking down into ordinary water and coming out on the other side. But guess how often you had to walk through the mikveh? Every time you wanted to come before God with anything into the presence of God and his people. That's a lot of baths. What Jesus does here in his baptism is he says, see how much work that was? You don't need all that. Because of my sacrifice, all you got to do is get baptized once. All you got to do is get washed once. All you got to do is get plunged into the blood of my cross once, and I will raise you to new life. The dipping, the plunging, the drowning of baptism is all about burial and resurrection. Descending into the darkness of water and rising again into new life. Descending into the darkness of death and the grave spiritually and physically underwater in order to rise into the light of the new day. Do you remember the early days of your baths? Anyone have like distinct memories of taking a bath when you're younger? I have one. I mean, I have many. But this is the one that I I think about the most. Did anyone when you were taking a bath when you were a kid do that thing where you're like, lay down and you plug your nose so you don't want to get water up your nose but then you just kind of allow yourself to sink back into the water so the waters kind of cover your face. Did anyone ever do that? Senai? Thanks man I I remember this as a kid and I remember being sort of enveloped by the darkness of the water because my eyes were closed. But then I remember opening my eyes and sitting up and unplugging my nose and being like wow there's the brightness of the lights this is what baptism is In baptism, it's God dipping us into the water and we're being veiled by the water. We're being veiled in the darkness and yet he says, open your eyes, arise and see the light of new life, the light of the resurrection of my son. And this is all because Christ was consumed and enveloped and veiled by the darkness of the grave and yet rose from that death and stepped into the new light of the Garden of Eden on that Easter morning. This is why Paul can write to the early church and this is why you and I can hear these same words written to us over the course of history through the generations of the church. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with Jesus by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of his life for if we have been united with him in a death like his certainly we will be united with him in a resurrection like his We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is the simplicity and yet the profundity of baptism. This is the ordinary thing of water combined with the promise of God's word to accomplish incredibly powerful things for you. To say that just once, if you're dipped into ordinary water, you're actually receiving an eternal miracle. That in your baptism, in that moment that you're plunged beneath the water and you rise, that you are immediately made a child of God. Because you've been buried with the Son of God. Death and burial are one-time things, friends. You don't get buried multiple times, now do you? You don't die over and over and over again, do you? In the singular death of Christ, in the singular burial of Christ, in the singular resurrection of Christ, you are given new life through the singular baptism of Christ. And that's the work of the entire Godhead for you in baptism, God the Spirit descends into your hearts to give you faith and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness and all of your presumptive self-righteousness. In baptism, God the Father declares from the heights of heaven over the cosmos, throughout all the earth, that you are a beloved daughter of His, that you are a beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. In baptism, God the Son Crucifies your old self with him and sets you free. In baptism, we died with Christ, the Son of God. Through baptism, we are resurrected with the Son of God. And so bear fruit worthy of repentance. Hold tightly onto the hand of your Savior. For in your baptism, he pulled you through the grave once, and upon his return, he will pull you from the grave once again, and this time, you will no longer die, but you will live eternally, forever and ever.